I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. You're listening to Alone, a love story. And I'm Michelle Parisi. Chapter 4. Impossible to see. Birdie. I'm eight months pregnant, and I'm a giant, swollen mass. The doctors put me on bed rest because my blood pressure is constantly through the roof. My feet have gone from a size 7 to a size 9. For the last month, each night before bed, the husband wraps my forearms in ice. The ice sort of helps with the agonizing pain, but nothing helps these ankles. I can't even see them anymore. Basically, the last month of being pregnant totally sucks, so I'm relieved when the doctor doing the ultrasound says, You have any plans today? Because how do you feel about just having this baby? So, I'm induced. 35 unbearable hours later, the next night, after so much pushing and no success, they wheel me into the operating room and do a C-section. The husband's been at my side every step of the way. Neither of us have slept for what's nearing 40 hours. I can barely see Bertie when he brings her to me. My eyes are crossing, and I see two, three babies, all blurry. Is she okay? I say. And he says, she's perfect. I say, oh good, and pass out. While I'm passed out, they finish up the operation. The husband takes Bertie out into the hall where his mother, my family, and my best friend all meet her. Seven people meet my baby before I do. They all see her face clearly and touch her. I wake up an hour later to a nurse pushing the baby onto my breast, so I still can't see her face. And I'm so full of drugs, I can't make out anything that's happening. Least of all, that I am now a mother. After five days in the hospital, we head home. My mother comes with us at first to help out. She argues with the husband constantly. Every breath the baby takes is something for them to disagree on. They both have an opinion on everything. A low-level battle in the background of this new life. I'm too exhausted to have my own opinions. Not that anyone's asking me. I feel completely dissociated. Like, if anyone were to look at me, they'd know something was wrong. I feel like an alien. I'm sad, exhausted, freaked out. I know nothing about babies. And this one is now killing me 12 times a day when she's meant to be fed by my body. 
There doesn't seem to be enough milk to satisfy her, so she's ravenous and tearing chunks of flesh off my nipples. It's the most natural thing for a woman to do, we're told, but it's awful. It's the most physically painful thing I've ever experienced. I would rather have the 35-hour labor again, or have my appendix burst again, or break my leg in two places again. Anything, anything would be less horrible than this. The husband and my mom fight all the time, but on this, they agree. Stop breastfeeding. But I feel like a failure of a woman. The husband is understanding and kind about it. He says, you couldn't have the baby naturally either, remember? So don't worry about it. And he's right. The baby isn't growing. After three weeks, she's still under birth weight. So I give up. We put her on formula, and she becomes a plump, relatively happy baby. Here's the thing about maternity leave. I'm alone. Just me and Birdie, a baby that never sleeps during the day. I pace through the house like a stranger, looking at everyday objects and forgetting the meaning of them. Wine glasses, books. What are those for? I can't even imagine reading a book. Why do I have so many? One day, I open the bathroom cupboard and see a whole tray of eyeshadow. I can't imagine ever putting it on again. And I have so many big, shiny earrings. Where on earth would I wear those? Eyeshadow and earrings seem like relics of a life I will never have again. Instead, life now is just a series of endless days and nights with nothing but her crying and cooing and the vast, empty sound of the vast, empty house. There's no one to talk to, nothing to discuss. Each morning when the husband leaves at eight, my heart sinks. I watch him drive away until I can't see him anymore. Everything collapses. I'm looking forward to July, though. He's a teacher, so he'll be off for the summer and home to spend time with the baby. Home to help me get some rest, some bearings. And since this is the thing he wanted more than anything in the world, I imagine how excited he must be for the last day of work so he can be home to care for her. But instead, he goes on a trip. As soon as the school year is finished, he goes to Washington, D.C. with a bunch of co-workers. He says he has to, but I can't understand it. Why would there be a mandatory work trip during the summer? Why would he go on a trip when it's his very first opportunity to be home with his newborn daughter and wife? We have a huge fight about it. And then it comes up again, and again, and again. For years and years, it just keeps coming up during arguments about other things because I can't get over it, ever. I just can't. Once summer is over, it's back to being alone in the big empty house. Winter comes early and stays forever 
time moves slower than I ever imagined it could. I play with Birdie. I sing her songs. I feed her. I comfort her. I look at the clock, and it's only 9.30 a.m. I feel like maybe I will die from sheer emptiness, from the lack of people that aren't babies or on TV. I miss my desk at work. I miss meetings and creative conversations and writing and work. I miss work. I know being a new mom is work, but I don't process it that way. It just feels like lonely. I miss talking to my peers about music and art and books. I miss organizing and creating and discussing and laughing. I love my baby, but I don't love being home all day long with her, with no one to talk to. Only laundry and making baby food to break the monotony. I know what you're thinking. You think I sound cold and distant. Not like a mom is supposed to sound when talking about her newborn. Maybe you think it sounds like I don't love my child. Then I'm too busy thinking about myself and all that I've lost instead of bonding with her. But that's not what this story is about. I'm not here to convince you that I love her. Because I do. And that love grows with every year of her life. Every day I watch Birdie become this funny, clever, kooky person. She fills my life with more joy than anything or anyone. But today, I'm talking about the baby. And I'm sorry if that seems cold, but sometimes, honestly, they're two different people to me. It's hard for me to reconcile the baby and Birdie as one and the same. You were just smiling. Yeah. I was never diagnosed, but looking back, it seems pretty clear I had some form of postpartum depression. And this is what it did. So judge me if you want. But I'm going to return there now, to those early days. Those long, endless days at home, alone, with a newborn baby. I feel isolated. I've always lived downtown, and now I'm in this strange neighborhood that seems so far from anything or anyone I know. My friends and co-workers all came to visit me when the baby was first born, but after that, people stopped coming around. It's 2007, so social media is barely a thing. Even the internet is a thing I have to go upstairs, turn on a big old computer, and wait for. I don't even have a cell phone. Finding it hard to connect with my friends. And I'm having trouble connecting with new people, too. The other new moms in the neighborhood are also put together. Like they aren't struggling with this at all. They probably are, I know, in their own ways. But I feel like a disaster compared to them. They're such naturals at being mothers. And they all breastfeed like no big deal. They always talk about how they don't want to go back to work. They love maternity leave. I don't get it. I feel so out of place with my bottle-fed baby and my tattoos, with my love of my job and the world downtown.
There is at least one thing I look forward to each week. Soccer. As soon as Birdie is three months old, I return to my co-ed soccer team. I'm hugely fat and out of shape, but I give it everything I've got. In that 90 minutes a week, when I'm on the field, I think of nothing but the game. I feel pure exhilaration. I'm competitive, physical, quick-witted. For those 90 minutes, I feel like myself, like the old me. When it's over, I go back home sweaty and happy. Each week, it's the same. I come in the back door and the husband is sitting on the couch watching TV. How's the game? He asks, and I excitedly recap the whole thing. He listens patiently and with interest. He knows I love playing soccer. He knows I'm mostly miserable these days, and that once a week, this is the thing that saves me. He goes back to watching his show, and I take a shower. The baby will wake up any minute now and will need my attention. I've got to go back to being a 24-hour mom, at least until next Thursday, and those blissful 90 minutes on the field. Of course, maternity leave and being a mom gets easier as the months go on. Hello, 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 hello. Sometimes I even enjoy it. Baby, baby, hi. Baby. Baby. She's beautiful. Her head is so perfectly round. And she's got these big blue eyes and straw-colored hair. Nothing like me with my brown eyes and dark hair. But she came out of my body, and that never stops amazing me. I sing to her. I play with her. I read her books and talk to her all day long. I get a bit better at it, the maternity leave, even though I'm counting the days till I can go back to work. But exactly two months before my return to work, when Bertie is 10 months old, something suddenly and unexpectedly starts to go very wrong with my eyes. I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts.
suck it up. I'm in the middle of a soccer game when I first notice it. Man, I keep missing the ball. That pass was so wide. I keep misjudging the distance between me and the ball, between me and other players. I must be exhausted. I'm seriously off my game tonight. It gets worse. The next day, I drive with Bertie to my friend's place downtown. Everything in my field of vision just starts jumping around. The road looks like it's underwater. I call the husband. I don't think it's safe for me to drive. You'll have to come and pick us up. The husband drives me to a downtown hospital, Birdie asleep in her car seat in the back. He drops me off with a casual, don't worry, and goes back home. I sit in the emergency waiting room for over four hours. I can't read or see the TV very well, and my eyes hurt a lot, so there's nothing to do but close them and sit with my thoughts. The hours pass slowly. Eventually, I see a doctor, and he sends me to another floor for a CT scan. Then, more waiting. More time alone, with nothing to do but worry. Nothing but endless, blurry hospital life all around me. And then I hear the voice of the doctor I just met with. So, yeah. I get up and try to sneak closer, hiding behind a post so I can listen in on his conversation. Female, 33 years old. Gonna need to send her to you for more tests. Pretty sure he's talking about me now. I don't know. Could be multiple sclerosis. Yeah. Okay. The doctor does not say MS to me. Good luck, he says, and I detect something, like a hitch in his voice. But why? I can't really see his face, so I don't know if it's because things look bad for me or because he's a tired ER doctor. Thanks, I say. I'm sure whatever it is, it'll be fine. Practically blind, with my head reeling from the possibility that I have some disease I know nothing about, I stumble along the crowded street to the subway. My eyes kill. It feels like everything is vibrating and the buildings are moving up and down as I walk along the street, and I can't make out anyone's face. I stare down at the sidewalk and try not to fall over, try not to cry. I take the subway, then a bumpy, horrible bus. I feel terrified. I feel so alone, so terribly and achingly lonely. Why didn't I take a cab? Or call a friend to come pick me up. Honestly, I, I don't know. An hour later, 
a get home. The husband is on the couch watching TV. For the next few weeks, every day, I take care of the baby with everything in my field of vision, jumping around like our old TV set used to in the 70s. It's like watching the love boat on a glitchy channel. Except it's my life. It's maternity leave, not the love boat at all. My eyes get worse. And it makes me queasy. I sew myself a funky eye patch to help steady me. How did I sew? The husband doesn't take any time off work. Not once through the whole ordeal. Not even an afternoon. In fact, he begins teaching night school a few nights a week and playing extra ultimate frisbee games. Which means most days he leaves at 8 a.m and doesn't get home again until 10 p.m. I spend all day and night that way, my vision jumping around as I care for our baby, alone. I'm so afraid I'll drop her, so afraid something will go wrong. I'm sad and tired. I'm finding things difficult to manage, even though I have no choice but to manage. No one is offering respite, but... Maybe I'm not asking. One night when he arrives home after 10 p.m., I ask, do you have to come home so late all the time? Even through blurred eyes, I can see his body stiffen, his jaw tighten. And then he says, you need to suck it up, Barisi. So... I did. I go for MRI after MRI, test after test, doctor after doctor, and I go to almost everyone by myself. Then, when Bertie is 11 months old, I'm diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. I'll give him this. He was there for that appointment. The timing is terrible. Maternity leave is almost over, and I'm finally going back to work. But my eyes are still all screwed up. The neurologist prescribes a steroid treatment. This should clear up the problem, he says. So every day for a week, a public health nurse comes into the house and hooks me up to an IV drip. I sit in our spare room on an old futon with the IV in my arm. I can't read or watch TV with these stupid eyes, so I just sit alone for an hour, doing nothing while the steroids flow into me, the taste of metal filling my mouth. It's the only hour of my day where I'm not caring for the baby or doing laundry or cleaning. I'm just sitting alone in a quiet room with a bag of drugs that will hopefully make my eyes go back to normal. They don't. now my body is addicted to steroids. They have to wean you off them by giving you more. Did you know that? So for two more weeks, I have to keep taking the drug, the taste of metal constantly in my mouth while my eyes bounce and shake. For these past two months, I've lived as normally as I could with these crazy eyes. I tried to suck it up, tried to keep it together, 
But now that the steroids have failed, I'm freaked out. I'm starting to feel actually depressed. I'm a journalist. How am I going to read and write all day long with these fucking eyes jumping around? How can I hide this diagnosis from everyone if I have to wear an eye patch all the time? Will I get passed over for promotions or cool special projects if my managers know? My good friend, the practical one, sits with me one day and does what she does best. Real talk. She's the only one who seems to notice that I'm getting sadder and sadder. She starts to tell me about a woman she saw on Oprah once, and I roll my jumpy eyes. But she continues. This woman had some unimaginably horrible thing happen to her, and she was like dying or something, but she continued to be upbeat and positive, inspiring everyone around her with her lovely spirit. So Oprah says, how do you do it? And the woman tells her she wasn't always like this. When it first happened, she lay in bed all day crying and saying, why me? But then one day, she just thought, enough. She decided to give herself five minutes a day to feel sorry for herself, and that's it. Then she had to get on with it until the next day, when she had another five minutes to scream and cry and throw things, and then move on. I love this idea. I say to my friend, I can do that. I can only feel sorry for myself for five minutes a day and move on. It really sinks into my head as the best idea I've ever heard. And so it's exactly what I do. I plan out five minutes a day to feel sorry for myself. And then after that five minutes, I say, it's only your eyes. What if it was your hands? That would be way worse. Or your legs. And besides, you can still sort of see. Maybe there's a modification you can do to your computer at work. I start to make a mental list of all the ways I can deal with it. Especially since I won't be taking care of a baby all day anymore. I'll be making a radio show, which is peanuts compared to being a stay-at-home mom. I try walking around without the eye patch. I get my hair cut. I plan Bertie's first birthday party. I wake up one morning and I can see again just like that. And so I return to work after a year off, and no one knows what I've been through. I keep it at that. I don't tell anyone. I get back to work, and it feels great. Months later, I begin taking a very expensive drug treatment, a needle I have to inject every single day. A nurse comes to the house to show me how to do it, and the husband sits with me and learns too. Time passes. Mostly, I forget I even have MS. I still forget. I mean, other than taking the daily injections and pills, there's nothing much I can do about it, so I actually don't think about it that much. Years pass. The house is a lot for us. Always a crack to fill, a carpet to rip up, a faucet to replace. Weeds in the backyard and big disgusting bugs in the basement. We're tired. Bertie is a handful. Every day there's a tantrum, a test of wills. We've become the stereotypical, exhausted, working parents. Our lives consist of work, the house, insane toddler, repeat. 
We take turns going out. He grabs drinks with his teacher friends or I hang out with my media pals, while the other stays home with the insane toddler. We rarely go out together, if ever. But when we're at the house, we are together. There's always people coming and going, neighborhood children running around, my dad dropping by, or cousins or friends. Barbecues, beer making, board games, crafts, trivia nights, a house full of life and energy. And always in the crowd, I hear his laugh, or I catch his eye across the room, and he winks at me, or just gives me that smirk. Our relationship like an inside joke between the two of us. I knew we would always be okay. We'd be the couple that would always be okay. I was wrong. You're listening to Alone, a love story. It's a CBC original podcast written by me, Michelle Parisi. The story editor is Veronica Simmons. Alone is mixed and produced by me and Veronica in our hometown of Toronto. Our theme music is by Yehenda. Explore more at cbc.ca slash alone. It's my digital scrapbook with art, videos, music, and the story behind the story I'm telling. Stick with me. I want to tell you about the bomb. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.